Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hunt for Real podcast. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. This episode is brought to you by Montana Decoy. They make all kinds of decoys, turkeys, antelope, elk, moose, and of course, whitetails. And we are sitting here right in the heart of the rut when decoys work the best. If you are a hanging hunt hunter, if you're a mobile hunter, and you don't want to carry around full body decoys that are noisy and you just you just don't have the ability to carry them in very well, you really need to check out Montana decoys. I started using them because I'm a public land hunter and I fell in love with them for a bunch of reasons. Crazy lightweight, they fold up and fit in a day pack, and they're generally pretty cheap compared to the full bodied options. This time of year, I like to put two out, and they offer they offer a whole bunch of different decoys, but they have the Archer's Choice Plot Pack. This sucker, full priced, is only 140 bucks, and you get a feeding doe and a little like looks like a kind of a year and a half, two and a half year old buck to put out there at the same time. The whole thing would fit in a day pack. You have two decoys that look super realistic. And you don't even need to pay that $140. If you go to montanadecoy.com and punch in the code HUNTFORREAL20, they're going to give you 20% off of that, which is a smoking deal to have two highly portable, highly effective decoys. This episode is also brought to you by Wilderness Athlete. You guys have heard me talk about running and lifting and, and, and working out. I love Wilderness Athlete supplements and daily vitamins, probiotics for pre-workout, post-workout, daily maintenance, and just feeling good. You don't have to work out. You don't have to be a gym rat or an ultra marathoner to appreciate this stuff. They're making a whole line of supplements that are that are good, not only for those activities, but for just daily health and body maintenance. If you want to check that stuff out, go to wildernessathlete.com, look at their offerings. If you like what you see, punch in the code HFR20. And you're going to give you 20% off your first order, which is good for everything except packages, dark timber products, and Heather's Choice items. My guest today is my good friend, Tim Kent, New York bow hunter who travels all over, spends a lot of time elk hunting. And Tim is Tim is one of my favorite people in the world. He is uh, He brings a really, really honest perspective to the importance of hunting and how we need to live our daily lives to to get the most out of hunting and I always love talking to Tim and we got onto a wide variety of topics in this but I think one of the things that's going to stick with the listeners the most is at least strategy wise is we really got into hunting from memory versus being in the moment and understanding the difference I think there's a huge distinction there along with some of the other stuff we got in later in the podcast about keeping your family and your work life in a, in a nice balance with hunting and, and managing all your expectations. Tim's such a good guest. You're going to love it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. There's a ton of hunting podcasts out there. I know you, I know you have limited time in your busy lives so that you choose to listen to us every week really means something. So thank you for that. We really, really appreciate it. In one minute, everything can change and it can become the best hunt of your life. It's a reality. Really understanding the landscape, that's what kills big deer. Tim Kent, welcome back to the Hunt for Real podcast, buddy. Hey, man. I can't believe you had me on a second time. Well, I was desperate this week. Um, all the all the big names turned me down. The Jury Brothers are ignoring me, so I'm like, oh shit, I got to get an episode in the can. I better call Tim. Yep, there you go. He's not doing anything. <laughs> no, actually, I wanted to talk to you. I always have these these moments when I'm talking to whitetail hunters at different times, where 
I either go, that dude has no idea what he's talking about, or I go, that dude knows he's out there doing this. And I, I interviewed you for a, a meat eater piece. I don't, I don't know if it's out yet or not, but it'll be out by the time this episode drops on, you know, mistakes people make during the rut. And you were talking, you said something that goes kind of counter to what people believe, but has been entirely my experience. And you said you set up, you know, not only to take their eyes away from them. So you set up in thick stuff, but you also said that you, you play them like paralleling the wind instead of just walking into the wind. And we, we think about whitetail bucks. And I do think like, Earlier in the season, approaching food sources and stuff, they're they're walking into the wind more. But when I see them cruising in the rut, it's so often they parallel that and play the terrain in such a way that you just you can't know till you see it a whole bunch of times and kind of get like affirmation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in my experience, in most of the places that I hunt, like early in the season, early October, you know, I, we don't have a September season here and I don't get to do that much because I'm usually trying to go out west and chase stuff. But like I'll find a lot of times they'll come out into a field or hit a food source with the wind at their back. And then, you know, with their with their eyes, they're working with their eyes trying to see the danger and then smell danger that's coming from behind them or they'll come in with the wind in their face. Well, obviously in most instances, we can't take advantage of that because the wind's in, in their favor, then it's not an hour. So that's one of the things I, I like about the rut. I talk often about trying to kill my deer in October because I'm a terrible rut hunter. Or at least that, you know, that's how I feel most times because the rut, as a friend of mine used to say, will make you a hero or a zero. I may have even said that last week because, you know, when those, when those bucks get clumped up on a hot doe, you know, it's just like they're all there. It's you'll see three, four, five, six, seven, sometimes ten of them all on one on one doe, and it's just everybody in the community. Oh, there she is! And so that makes it tough. But you know, when they're when they're out cruising and walking and doing their thing as individuals, I like to take advantage of that. You know, again, that paralleling wind and use the terrain and or cover to my advantage. So that way, you know. I have the advantage by comparison to that other scenario that that we talked about a second ago where the wind's going to them they're they're winning you know yeah. and they they seem to be a little bit more tolerant of certain things that time of year too cuz they got other things on their minds for sure and you know I I kind of think about it like uh you know, we, we, we think the rut is the magic wand that's going to erase all of our shitty habits and, and make us <laughs> heroes. But I, when I was, when I was researching this piece recently, I was looking at success rates for bow hunters in different States and the numbers you can get, they're generally pretty consistent. You see a lot of States where you have like a 20 to 30% success rate. And so mm-hmm. I looked at Iowa. I said, if, if, in, if the rut was the answer, Iowa would be the place where the success rate for bow hunters would be sky high. You have the whole month, you have even in places, you know, like I just saw in public land, even where you, you have a lot of pressure by Iowa standards, you can still go in and kill big bucks and shoot. Dough. You can, you can have an amazingly uh, a quality hunt. And the, the, the most recent numbers that I dug up from the harvest statistics pegged the, the success rate at 24% for bow hunters. Now mm-hmm. that's, that's does, bucks, that's everything. And that's people hunting, you know, Lukoski quality land versus people hunting the worst public land out there. And so everybody's lumped in, it's sort of like the, uh, the over-the-counter success rate in Colorado. You know, you look at the overall success rate, it's like 10%. Then you think, well, on, on public land over-the-counter, it's probably like three or two, mm-hmm. you know? And so I thought, 
if the rut were your answer to a lot of problems for everybody, Iowa would prove that out, and Iowa doesn't. You still see, you know, three three out of every four guys who walk in the woods with a bow don't come out with a deer all season long. Yeah, well, sometimes that's time. I mean, you know, that's the that's the biggest thing. You got to be out there, and we, we talked about that last week too. It's it's really difficult for some people to earmark the time that they need to go and get into the field or be able to sit all day. And it's just, even if you're sitting all day, it's like adding days to your hunt. And there are so many guys that I know that are super successful that they kill a ton of their deer midday. I, I, I have very rarely had that opportunity over the course of my, my hunting career, but that's, that doesn't stop me from going. You just, you have to invest the time. And, and that time could again, be in a, a small, window of of a week or whatever during the rut or across the entire season you know people will say oh man another lucky year for you and i just think to myself lucky year dude you know normally i'm i every time a bit of time that i can carve out i'm I'm putting in whether it's in preparation or actually sitting in the stand or uh, observing or doing whatever and I don't live on top of the ground that I hunt either. I wish I did because that would add a totally different element to it. So that being said, it, it also gives me like a really high level of respect for guys like you who can just walk onto a piece of ground and just like, oh, yeah, I, I see there's a good setup there, or e-scouting or whatever. But that also comes from the investment of time over years of gaining experience and you know we kind of joked around about the whitetail expert thing last week and it's like i'm always going to be a student these things are always going to school me no matter what and just when i think oh yep got them no they just proved to do something different yeah i mean dude i spent i spent the last weekend in october not halloween weekend but the weekend before hunting wisconsin i did five sits and i saw one doe Mm-hmm. In five sits, I had yeah. more bobcats I could have touched than deer I could have shot, which yeah. is stupid. Uh, but it's you know, the, like the 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 time and stand thing. So you have to like qualify that right because it's not just go out and sit all day for five days in November. Because if you're not in a very good spot or you're in a place with a lot of hunting pressure, you can get that wrong. And so what what we see all the time, and I sure, I'm sure you see this, is the rut is when we bring out the calls and the decoys and the scents and the, you know, we hang scent wicks all over the woods and everything. And we think like, okay, now it's, it's the magic time of year. I'm using all these products that are going to trick a buck to come in. And even with access to everything like that, it doesn't happen. And so I always look at it like, you know, you mentioned the e-scouting thing. I do that religiously because I can't go to these places and be there. You just, you just can't. So like, oh, what's the next best, you know, way to be efficient? And I look at the the rut, especially for, you know, our listeners are primarily hunting public land or some pressured private ground. I look at it like a hot bite for like smallmouth, for example. Yep. If you take a, you know, if you're, if you're on a lake, like I fish a lot where there's rock piles and reefs and points, and it's, it's primarily like a boulder type pattern where they school up in the, in the, toward the fall the bite's unreal, but there's a lot of places you can fish that you're not going to find any fish. When you do find them, they're easier to catch because they're more aggressive because they got company and they're gorging on minnows and they're, they're putting the feed bags on. So when you get around them, it is lights out. Awesome. But if you don't, if you just go out and you're pitching docks or something, you might not run into a fish 
for five hours. And so I look at the, the whitetail thing the same way. Yeah, those deer are up cruising, they're out looking, they're chasing, they're doing it in very specific spots. And they're not lighting out across the countryside nearly as much as we like to give them credit for. Like if you want to be on that hot bite in the whitetail woods, it's like you got to get in there with them. There's a difference to it. Yeah, and that that's kind of what I, like what I was saying earlier about those concentrations of deer on that first hot doe, you know, like these, these days that we're in right now is usually when I'll experience that is, you know, sometimes there'll be some cruisers or whatever else, but I'll see many bucks on one, on one doe. And it's so it can, it can take everything that you've done in the past and sort of screw it up to be honest with you. And so, you know, going back to what you said, even sometimes when we're in the right spot, I think we still have a tendency to make bad decisions. I caught myself in that the other day. I went into a spot like, oh, the wind is right for this. And I was kind of looking at it too much from a macro perspective and going, okay, yeah, I can hunt here. Historically, they'll come out this way. But I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about what the activity was going to be this particular time of year and how the wind didn't work for their, to their advantage to do what they want to do. So it really wasn't going to work to my advantage to do. And as I was sitting there, I, I got too, too deep into the afternoon to, to make a move. Cause I, I, I knew I had done something wrong at a certain point. I was like, Oh, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have come here. I should have gone to this spot and done this thing. And I was like, but they never do this. Y- you know, <laughs> they never do this. And sure enough, you know, the wind is blowing into the, you know, it's kind of on a field edge and in, in the corner and the wind is blowing in my face into the timber behind me. And I'm like, Oh, they never, they never come in from behind me. Never, you know? And sure enough, three bucks come in from behind me, two year and a half old bucks and a three year old, you know, different times all came in from behind. Well, they're, they're, you know, getting those feels and they're doing just like what we we're talking about. They were paralleling that wind and coming in from behind me in the timber that they never come in from. Well, they're, they're, they're using terrain and they're using wind to their advantage the same way that they always do, you, you know, and I think a lot of times where that gets even trickier yet is when you have a piece of terrain that changes what the wind does and, and it'll manipulate it. Let's say it's blowing out of the West, but it, it comes off the hill, dips down into a little valley and then goes up the other side. And it could even be a small little section. We may have even talked about this in the past, but you know, we have a, on the main farm that I hunt, we have a situation where it'll do that. It'll hit that bottom and a west wind will turn and blow straight from the south. It'll just hit that bottom and the terrain just moves it completely. I remember the first time I figured that out, you know, I was sitting there and these deer just um, started coming out of a spot that I didn't think they would ever come out. I was like, holy cow, I'm like invincible in this tree. What is going on? And it was nothing to do with me. I took, you know, just one of those little floater things and dropped it and I just watched and just popped up and I was like whoa you know just totally blew my mind but you know when you start looking for those things like those deer were again because of the way the wind turned they're coming and paralleling that wind coming up toward me and coming in and I was basically invincible in that spot until they got to where my scent stream was turning to, yep. you know then I wasn't invincible anymore but there were plenty of opportunities between point a and point b so um I just love, like to figure that out, but I still, even though I, I quote unquote know it, I still make the mistakes and I still catch myself doing 
dumb shit. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, was, it was like, I didn't think this through. Either I was in a rush to make a decision or I had these debates with myself where like, oh, I'm, I'm between two spots and I don't, I don't think it through completely and I need to be more detail oriented, but it only usually takes me one or two mistakes and then, then I correct and, you know, and then, and then move on. So yeah. it's, yeah. uh, that's part of the fun, I guess. I, th- I think kind of, kind of what you alluded to there is, is something that, that I screwed up on in Wisconsin recently where we, it's so easy to hunt on memory and so hard to hunt in the moment. And mm-hmm. so when I, I, I had Justin Michaud on and I, I was talking to him about that. When I, when I went to Iowa where I killed my buck and my doe in mid-October, when I drove down there for that second weekend, so I hunted down there opening weekend, two weeks later, I went back down and the amount of leaves that had fallen and how open it had gotten in those two weeks was incredible. And when I drove in to go set up camp, I looked around, and I said, I know where they're going to be. They're going to be in these creek bottoms because they're the best cover available. You know, that's real old growth, deciduous forest. It's, you can look through it for a mile. And when I went to Wisconsin, they had gotten snow up there and the woods, you could see everything. And so I was hunting on last year's memories and scouting and going, these bucks are going to stage up here and they're going to come down through this, this pinch point. And it's where I killed one last year. I shot a big one in there, but I walked in there and it was crunchy. You know, the snow was pretty crunchy and I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, there's fresh sign all over, at least within the last, you know, five or 10 days probably. But I get up in my stand. I'm like, I can see forever here. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see any deer in there. And then I sat it again, didn't see any deer. And the deer that I did see came out of the creek bottom and it just hit me. Like you said, I was like, well, no shit. Like, of course they went down to the thickest part right now to bed because where they would have been bedding had we probably not got the snow it's just so open. It's too open for their comfort level. And I just, I wanted to hunt a certain spot because I thought I had it figured out instead of walking in and going, uh, this probably isn't right, you know? And it's just, it's, I feel the same way about that as I feel how trail cameras influence my decisions. I'm not, I, I fall prey to it, but I'm not comfortable with it. Like if I'm hunting off of memories, I'm not doing as well as hunting in the moment. And if I'm hunting off a of trail camera Intel, a lot of times I feel like I'm not making the right in the moment choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my buddies is, he's just all about statistics when it comes to hunting. He doesn't like hunt from memory at all. He's like, I don't know if he runs spreadsheets or whatever, but he's always talking about data. You know, he's just, he's an engineer, but uh, <clears throat> he's always talking about data and information and i mean he's really become a great killer you know these last handful of years because of a diff- the approach that he's taken and how he's looking at stuff and you know he uses camera data and he uses his own observation data and his own you know kills and he's looking at it more like a scientist than anything else and that's really worked to his advantage and you know i learn from him all the time because he's one of those guys that's not afraid to like challenge you about certain certain thought process and whatever else he's still human he still goes through the mental gymnastics of deciding what spot to go to and when but i think he's he's kind of thinking at it a different level than a lot of other people are and that I think harkens back to what you were saying about success rates earlier. It's a lot of how people think and then how they adapt and, and adjust, you know? So I was thinking about that this morning as I was running, like, you know, writing a blog about, you know, how a lot of times people will shoot archery, right. And 
their point of impact will be off and they'll just, they'll aim in a slightly different spot to adjust for the, the point of impact being off, which has always driven me nuts. I'm like, just adjust your sight. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? But it's the same thing. We, we do the same thing when we're choosing sites or, or excuse me, stands rather, right? We just are like, well, I want the deer to come here. Well, they're going over there. I have one particular spot. I did that for years. I just kept thinking to myself, eventually they're going to come to me. Eventually they're going to come to me. Eventually they're going to come to me. And, you know, finally I put a blind, there was no trees where I wanted them to, you know, excuse me, where they wanted to be, not where I wanted them to be. And I finally just put a blind there, you know, and I haven't killed anything out of that spot, but now it's in the right spot. And, you know, you just, you have to adapt and adjust and, I think that becomes hypercritical during the rut because things are changing so much, you know, but as we talked about the other day, like they're going to use terrain in a similar way. You can adjust to them because that terrain is working toward their advantage. And they're not that time of year, at least from my experience, they don't seem to be super focused on us like they are early and late. They're focused on the girls. And so what's their best chance to get with the girls they got one thing on their mind figure out how they find access to that and you know that's how you end up in the chips well in that i mean they they're definitely not as outwardly concerned about getting shot in the lungs as they are other times of the season but you still see when you see them cruise and they stick to cover and they take routes and you watch it and you go, yeah, they're looking for does, but they're also, whether it's coincidence or intentional, when you, when you hunt where they get a lot of pressure, they, they don't, I don't see them going out in the open the same way that you would expect on like a primo piece of ground. There's still that edge to them where they're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm just going to build in this little layer of protection and stay inside the the wood line and check stuff versus just running out there. Like you see on video sometimes like, it still feels like they're maintaining something, but it's definitely, they definitely let their guard down, which is why we yeah. like it. But you know, the one thing like what, what I brought up earlier with the, the, you know, the get rich quick products, they, if you're, if you're in a place, like I've seen this down in Nebraska, I've seen this in Minnesota here and a couple other States. If you're hunting, you know, Halloween, November 5th, whatever, and you've, you've hunted, you know, however many years and you have never seen or heard a buck fight on a property. If you think that you're going to go sit there and bang those antlers together and, and make it happen, it's probably not going to happen. Like all of that. So where I'm going with this, kind of what you alluded to is even, even if you're the most hardcore saddle hunter and all you do is hunt public land and you go in and hang and hunt, hang and hunt, hang and hunt, you still have that motivation for easy, like to take the easy. And so what the rut does for us is gives us an excuse for easy. So, you know, you go, well, now I can go back and sit on that, that pick cornfield and I can rattle or, or, you know, decoy or something like that. But it's so situational. And if you're hunting where lots of people are going to be or the deer have been hunted hard, you have to think about that stuff and go, this is probably not going to make up for that setup. Like you're still going to have to go find them. And I think I think it's really easy, like you said, to go, well, somebody's going to come by this stand if I sit it long enough. Like if I go sit this stand I like to, you know, it has a nice access path and it's easy to get to and it's comfortable and I can go sit in there and eat my lunch and sit all day. 
it's easy to talk yourself into that, but you see when you, especially if you go show up at different places, like I do a lot, you just see it's that there's such a, like a draw to that kind of hunt, but it's not the answer for a lot of different places because they're just not going to be there. And it, and if you get out there all day long on November 2nd and you don't see them, yeah, they, they might show up tomorrow, but probably not, you know, like you mm-hmm. might have to go find them. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes I feel like you have to find them. You just have to adjust unless, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, that's, you know, again, back to the hero or zero thing. I mean, that, that's the way the rut is. It's just, it is unpredictable because those does, if they start running around, they're not taking any patterns or whatever else. I mean, that's, that's where the, the equation starts to change. But, um, you know, I, I like to kind of get on them when they're a little bit calmer and they're, they're moving intentionally or doing things intentionally, you know, so where I tend to see a little bit of a difference where they might do something a little bit erratic is, um, out in like a goldenrod or a CRP type of field where they'll just, they'll, I mean, they'll just work those fields just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth or a real brushy hedgerow or something like that. Same thing. I've just watched bucks just drive themselves to I mean, what would seem like exhaustion, just trying to find, you know, a ghost in there. It may not even exist as far as that doe is concerned. And that, it's those pieces of experience that I've carried with me, you know, throughout the years to, to make those decisions on, okay, I want to get set back to this point on that. Like you were saying, like right on the ragged edge, you know, so if they do pop out like into a, a taller grass field or something like that, and that's what I want. I don't, I don't usually want to sit food sources that time of year. I, I want to, not, not like bedding cover, like on the bedding cover, but things close to bedding cover or, or they're, they're just going and seeking. And like I said, you know, they take their eyes away from them so they can't see as far. So they have to, they have to actually do the work and work with their nose. And, you know, it's, it's worked well for me these last, you know, however many years. And, uh, I like it. I mean, you know, I'm not in the big open timber as much that time of year. I mean, I start to really narrow down my, my stands and, and, and what I sit and I'm looking, you know, when guys talk about pinch points and funnels and whatever else, like, totally makes sense but it's got to be really specific for me really specific pinch points and funnels that lay out a certain way so i don't make the same mistake that i made the other night because we're just right on the edge right now again i was sitting in a field edge inside corner type of situation like yeah i might be able to get away with it right now might be smarter to be in a different spot i I wasn't sure now i'm sure you know and, and i would adjust my strategy and you know, I don't know if I'll be able to hunt today or what the rest of my week even looks like. I know I'll have time this weekend and I'm just like frantically on the weather every day, seeing what the wind is going to do. And yeah, you know, look at my icons on, on, on hunt stand or whatever. Okay. Uh, yeah, these are my options. And then, you know, when we pick our stands in the morning or whatever, I'm just sitting there like, I, I always try and pick last. I'm always like, oh, please don't pick this one spot. Please don't pick this one spot. Please don't pick this one spot or two or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I want all the guys to be successful, but it's, uh, it's always that, that dance, right? So yeah, you know, it's fun. That's, that's part of, I think what we love about it is those challenges and, you know, those, those, the, the thing that there's, the, there's no absolutes. You know, I, I, I say to my, my wife, and my one friend all the time, like I don't operate in a world of absolutes because nothing is going to happen every single time. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that. When when you brought up before about watching, uh, you know, the little wind checker, or the you know, float off into the the current and do what you just don't expect, and how the deer were using that, but you weren't aware of it. 
I, I do that a lot. I carry the milkweed pods around, let them go and just see, you know, like I like watching that stuff, especially in bluffy country, just to see what's really going on. And, you know, growing it's up, a hippie in you. It is, I'm total hippie. <laughs> <laughs> I like death metal and patchouli oil. Uh, anyway, I don't like hippies. Um, I'm neutral on hippies at this point in my life. Let me put it that way. <laughs> so anyway, back on track. Uh, what I... Growing up where I grew up, where it was bluffs and not knowing any better, we used to sit in the bottoms all the time, right? And then people mm-hmm. would start telling me, like, you can't sit in the bottom of a ravine or something like that because the wind's going to swirl and you're going to get busted every time. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I've been doing this for 10 years. And, like, sometimes I kill deer. Sometimes I get busted. I don't know. And so I started uh, thinking about this when, you know, you've been, I've been watching freaking milkweed float away my entire life. And what I realized is, like, you know, when you say absolutes, I don't know how often somebody has brought up like creek hunting or river hunting or valley hunting to me and said, well, you know, I can't sit in this creek bottom on my farm or this place I like to hunt because the wind swirls and, you know, I'll get caught. And I'm always like in every spot on there, like the, the whole creek is just constantly swirling and there's a little tornado in there and it's bringing your scent everywhere. But we use that stuff and go... Well, I can't hunt. It's out of the equation. It's easy to say no to that. But like you said, you get in there and this happens to me on places I've hunted for 25 years. I'll go in and set up a stand and, you know, flip out some milkweed and watch it and go, holy shit. Like I never thought that would happen. And I've hunted here a million times and it's never, it's, it changes so much and it changes from being set up like, on one bend of the creek and you move up just 50 yards and all of a sudden that wind is totally different it might be reliable and like for example that that buck i shot in iowa there was a there's a river and a creek that come together pretty close to there and so there's Mm -hmm. bluffs and all kinds of stuff and when i was walking into that spot carrying my stand in i got to where i originally wanted to go and the wind was all over the place it was smoking and it was like 30 miles an hour but it was like there's no chance to set up here and do any good because it is going everywhere. But, you know, 150 yards up the river where it necks down and forces that wind to go a certain direction, you could go up there and it was perfectly out of the north and not swirling. And so you you could look at that, walk in there and go, well, I'm hosed. There's, there's no chance for this. And then just uh, one minute walk later, you're in a place where the wind is incredibly consistent. And that's like, that just goes back to your like absolutes things and like the easy way out stuff where listen, there's like, when you generalize about this stuff and go, okay, well, that whole area is off because of this. Like, yeah. What, what time of year, what conditions, what exact tree are you in? Cause that stuff matters. Mm-hmm. Even with the Creek thing that you just talked about, you just touched on it like time of year. It's like, well, what's the temperature of that Creek by comparison to the temperature of the air and what's that air doing as it goes over that warmer or cooler air you know, is it hitting, you know, something thicker over there? And that's making it start to, to, to turn where you might be specifically and whatever else. I mean, that's, you see that a lot in elk hunting, right? You go, you get into a, you get into a draw with a creek down and it. it's going to have a cooler air temperature. Those thermals might be running up the hill every single place that you're going. Otherwise you get into that and now they're getting sucked down. Well, it also has the opportunity just on the edge to sit there and just <clears throat> eddy around and swirl and swirl. So I would imagine the same thing. I don't have a lot of creek stuff around here, but I, I would imagine it's a similar situation, you, you know, where 
you can have that impact. You know, you might get, I hunted a spot in Nebraska last year <clears throat> that was over a creek and it was like, you know, slushy, you know, the, everything was starting to freeze up and whatever else. And I, I could tell the wind was going out, but you know, as you were describing that now I'm thinking to myself, well, at this time of year, you know, you get those first few, you know, few cooler days, you know, where the water is still really warm, but the air temperature dropped down below and, you know, steam comes off and you just start looking at the science of all that and you go, oh, I can see how that would, that would impact things. And that's, I mean, that's where some of this stuff would drive you absolutely nuts, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's also some of the elements that I, I still like about it. I and mean, I think that's what keeps us interested in coming back from war, you know, cause it's not, it's not easy. It gets easier when you have more experience, but like we said, there's no absolutes. There's nothing that's going to be, you know, the, the same all the time. Yeah. There's definitely similarities and trends and, and back to my friends thing data, but, uh, I, I don't know. I always get caught <laughs> in some way or another. Yeah. Well, you, you got to put yourself in a position to be wrong. And so what I, what I mean by that is like, if you're sitting there and you're going, okay, well, can't hunt this spot because of this. Like, do you really know? Like, did you hunt it one time and it sucked or have you hunted it at this time of year in these conditions? How do you know? And it's, you know, I'll never forget a, a mutual acquaintance of ours. We were, we were at a dinner or something and the, the topic of snort wheezing came up and he said, well, you can't snort wheeze anytime other than the peak of the rut and only at the biggest bucks. Cause it'll scare everything else away. And I was like, I don't know. I've snort wheezed in dinks in September. Like I've had crazy responses to snort wheezing on bucks that were clearly not, you know, the dominant buck well outside. And he looked at me like I was insane. And I was like, have you ever snort wheezed at a forky just for the hell of it? Like, have you ever snort wheezed in September or October? And like, no. And so it's just like, oh, I believe this. But, you know, it's the same thing. Like you mentioned going for a run this morning. People say, I can't run X amount of miles or I could never do 5K, 10K, half marathon, full marathon, whatever. And it's like, have you, have you ever tried? Like, have you ever? Oh, yeah. If you tell yourself that that's the case, then that's going to be the case. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot to be said for sheer will. Yeah. We, so we, we set up a lot of roadblocks for ourselves. And I, that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I've talked about this before, but people are always like, you know, everybody would tr trade places with Lee Lakoski or everybody would trade places with the juries and hunt their stuff. And I actually, even though I bitch about it a lot, I actually enjoy hunting places that don't give you that sense of comfort. Like, well, it's it's Halloween, it's November 7th, whatever. I'm going to this food block because we haven't been in there. And we know XYZ buck lives in there and there's 47 does coming in every day. And one of them is going to come in and chase and we're going to shoot it. I love going, going out, having to test this stuff out. Like just, you, you have no choice. You either hunt sometimes or you you say, well, I can't hunt because of this. So you're always going to hunt. And so you go, wow, the, the wind isn't as big of a factor as I thought, or the heat during the rut isn't as big of a factor as I thought, or the moon phase or blah, blah, blah. Or I've seen six different hunters crest the rise over there and I still have deer going by. You start to realize that a lot of what holds us back for being successful as hunters is just what's going on in our head. What we think is the truth versus what we actually experience to be true. 
Well, I think a lot of that stuff is about scale, too, when it comes to those guys. I mean, they're just operating at a different scale, whether it's the size of ground that they have access to or the size of deer that they they are trying to, to run an arrow or a bullet through and whatever else. But that doesn't mean that they don't experience struggles, too. You know, I mean, good, good on them for shooting 180-inch-plus whiteies, like – I, it doesn't matter to me. Like I, I'm, I'm just as happy for them as the guy down the street that sh- you know shoots his first forky. It, it, you know, it, you, you bought a license, you're entitled to do whatever. But that's one thing I, I see a lot of people kind of, uh, you know, say like what you started out with. Well, if I had this, yeah, probably. But they're 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 challenged as well, you know, and so we can just as easily forget about that. It's not what guys like you and I have access to, and that's okay, you know, but those guys also, back to the time thing, they're putting in a lot of time, they're putting in a lot of money, and a lot of effort. It's just a scale thing, and you can't, I love that Theodore Roosevelt quote, like, comparison is the thief of joy, because a lot of people allow themselves to be impacted by things that just don't matter. I mean, there's kind of a similar Marcus Aurelius quote, it's something along the lines of, you're only affected if you think you're affected. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so, it's so true. Um, you know, there's like this, these emotions, you know, hunters are weird. That's the only way I can describe it. We're kind of jerks to our own people. <laughs> well, I'm not, <laughs> you know I'm not I mean? saying, I didn't say that to denigrate them. I just saying, if you, oh, if, no. yeah. if you think that they don't know they're going to get their chances at, you know, 180 inches every year with their setup, that's crazy. Of course they are. And they're going to go out right. and they're, and I'm not saying they're not working for it. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying I enjoy, and I, you know, like, yeah, I don't have a place like that, but I've been offered a lot of whitetail hunts in different places. Like, let's just for example, I've hunted down with Mike Stroff down in Texas a few times. It is a foregone conclusion that if you put in three days down there, you will shoot a buck that's pretty decent. It's a no, no question if you have any clue how to hunt at all. And I don't I, like personally, I don't like that. I like the idea of not knowing what the hell you're getting into. And yeah, it sucks when you go get your ass kicked for a week or something, but I just like. I like not knowing that there's almost a guarantee at the end of it. You know what I mean? And I know there a lot of those people who are are making TV they're operating under a totally different premise. Like they 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 got to get the shows, they got to get the kills. I understand that. I've I've done that. I just like personally, I feel like it's this kind of hunting has helped me the same way running and working out has where it's forced me to challenge myself. And I see, listen, man, I I know a lot of people who have those amazing spots, and I don't think they're any happier than some of these people who reach out to me who are killing forkies on public land. You know what I mean? And but, so, yeah, and exactly. I just, I look at it's it personally. It's just about scale. Yeah, and yeah. I look at it personally, and I'm like, I know now, because I've tasted it enough, that's not what makes me happy. So I don't want it. And so, but I also know I have buddies who would take that in a heartbeat and every year they'd shoot a big one and be stoked. And so it's, it's just a personal thing. And I just, I like, I like that we're in a place now where the deer market has spread out so far where there's a place for that. And there's a place for this. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. And we've come a long way. I mean, you go back even a decade and it was like, you know, there were certain segments of people or 
arguing against trophy hunting, arguing against QDM. And there were, you know, if you remember the magazines had all those really antagonistic, you know, headlines and whatever else. And it's just like, ah. I guess at this point, I just look at it and go, I don't, I don't care what you, what you do. You know, I'm like you, I, I just want to, I just want to do what, what fulfill, fills my cup, you know, when it comes to all this. And, you know, if it's, if it's ethical and it's legal and you choose to do something differently than what I choose to do, I, I respect that. And I'm not going to insert my opinion. I just, uh, I'm just going to go and, and do my thing and struggle through my struggles and, you know, rejoice in my triumphs and, you know, and have fun. I mean, that, that was one of the things like a handful of years ago, I felt this working in the outdoor industry, I felt like there was this like unseen panel of judges. You know what I mean? That was like evaluating my success every year. You know, you go to the trade shows and you're like, oh yeah, I only shot four does this year. I only shot two does this year. No bucks. And people are like, oh, what a loser. And None of that exists. You walk away from those conversations and they forgot what you even told them. But I had myself convinced that that was the case. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who had a who had a TV show. It still does have a TV show. And he said, he said, you know, I decided this year I'm going to take my life back. I'm going to take my hunting back. And he, he kind of removed that pressure from, from himself. And I kind of like remember like looking at him and I didn't know what he meant at that point. You know, it's just kind of a few years before my genesis, if you will, on that. And uh, I, you know, when it came to my turn for that epiphany, it was just, it just hit me. I was like, this is kind of taking some of the fun out of it. Like, it's, it should be fun and we should all be able to go out there and enjoy nature and enjoy the opportunities that we have. And whatever, again, fills your cup is what, what fills it. And I, I just, I got to the point where, like, oh, it doesn't matter to me what other people think if I go into this year and nothing happens. And I mean, <clears throat> you know, at home here, I'm running up on kind of my last few days because I, I drew an Iowa tag this year like you. And I'm going to go there for I'm, an undetermined amount of time at this point. But, you know, so I'm, I'm running out of time at home and I'm it's it's strange. I'm like really at peace with the fact that if it doesn't come together, then and that's OK, you know, and in the years past, I mean, I'd be pulling my hair out. I'd be trying to figure out how to do work. I'd be staying up until two in the morning to get, get things done or pulling all nighters and whatever else. And, you know, all I'm thinking about right now is, ah, am I going to, you know, be home for dinner with my family tonight? Just, it's just a matter of, yeah, again, scale and perspective and what's different. Yeah. That's my point of view. And, and you know, I, if other guys look at it differently, that's just fine. But like, you know, I'm just to the point where I'm, I took it all back and now I enjoy every sit. And strangely enough, it seems like the, my success level rises because going back to what we said earlier, I'm not clouding my judgment and clouding my mind with those, those pieces of pressure that are, that are weighing on my shoulders. I just, I look at things or I pick my days more strategically. I pick my spots more strategically. And, you know, I also feel like I've, because of the way I work my schedule and whatever else, I give myself larger blocks of time when I actually can get out into the field. And, and that's just overall improved my, my hunting experiences and my success. And, you know, it probably puts a lot less pressure on, on the ground that I hunt too, whether it's public or private or whatever else, you know? So, um, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have <clears throat> these key select days that are more favorable than, you know, than just be at it. I mean, I used to bow hunt like every day, you know, on firearm hunt as many days as my schedule would allow. And now I 
it's just not that way anymore because of other obligations and and partially because I've taken back my mindset on it. Yeah. So, well, you what, what you said about enjoying it there and the pressure, I, uh, I that's one of the reasons I, I probably come off like way too anti-hunting TV, but it makes my skin crawl thinking about filming hunts, even though I'm doing it some this year because of that pressure. It It shifts the enjoyment, for me anyway, the times I've done it, it shifts the enjoyment from the hunt to the kill. Where if you get yeah. the kill, you win. And if you don't, you're a loser. And when you're not filming, you, you know, obviously that pressure's gone. And so you go out and you realize, like, I, you know, the one thing that really struck me this year so far is like I started in North Dakota hunting one of my favorite places in the world and I didn't enjoy it because of the amount of people that were there. I wanted to kill and I wanted to go home and it wasn't fun. I just, I just didn't enjoy it. And then Iowa was so fun because I just felt like, you know, I had a chance every time I went out and hung a stand, like I felt like I'm going to see deer and I'm going to have a chance. And I just enjoyed it. And it was, it's my country. Like I love bluffy river bottom deciduous forest type. I just freaking love it. And then I go from there and I go to Northern Wisconsin, which is always a place that just kicks me in the balls every season. And I, <laughs> I always go like, why do I do this to myself? Like, why am I not only like I have private land to hunt over there and I'm hunting stupid public land to like prove something, I guess. And I'm like, why do I do this? I don't enjoy it. Like I very rarely do I have fun hunting over here. And I was thinking about that when I was driving home recently, I'm like, why don't I just hunt next year? Like Colorado elk, because I just got to go, or it may be Idaho, I'm not sure. And then just pick and choose not only the places I really enjoy hunting, but the times I really enjoy hunting. So not just feeling like, got to go, got to go, got to go, got a free day, got to be there, go. I know there'll be way fewer people in that North Dakota spot in the middle of October, because nobody wants to hunt then. Go there camp by yourself or with your buddies or whatever, enjoy it, then move on and go hunt somewhere else and enjoy it. Instead of just being this like blitzkrieg, gotta be out there, gotta freaking you know, if you have the weekend, get to Wisconsin or whatever and bring that fun back. Because the thing that sucks about this, and I've been talking to my buddies about this a lot is this, you know, during this pandemic and all this craziness of the world, this is supposed to be our escape. We're supposed to enjoy this. Like, this is the thing you look forward to and you go, this is going to bring me back to, you know, some level of equilibrium because this is going to erase some of the bullshit of life and I'm going to enjoy it. And when you go and you don't, it's like really personally insulting. Like, why, why is this not happening? Why am I not getting out of this what I need to? And that's, that's when you start thinking like, all right, what, what, why are you doing it? Where are you doing it? What is, what's the motivation behind your action? Who are you doing it for? You, you know, that's, that's the thing. Who are you doing it for? And what, like when you're talking about the TV side of things, it, and I'm not anti TV show at all, but like it takes a transition. Now you're doing it a lot for an audience, right? You, you know, you have to, you have to perform for them. And that's the difficulty. Like we've talked about this before, like on the outdoor writer side, you guys have a really challenging job because there's only so many times you could you could talk about the hunt that didn't come together the way that you thought it would. I mean that there's there's only so much emotional economy and attention economy for that story, especially when there's multiple people telling it. <laughs> you know, so it's just it's part of the game, but 
realistically, the audience wants to hear about your success or when you're on television, they want to see your success the vast majority of the time, 80 to 90 percent or more. They want to know how you how you did it, why you did it and all those things. And I mean, that's that's the big challenge. And so, again, back to the pressure I mean, that puts a lot of pressure on guys like you who are who are creators who are putting yourselves out there every day, every month, you know, all year doing this for a living. I mean, that's, uh, I, I could, I'd, I'd fold. I mean, that's why a lot of these guys end up with target panic, you know, cause they, they just realize that, you know, you, like we've talked about before, you're saying like every time, you know, I shoot an animal, it explodes with dollar bills. Right. You know, it's like every, every time I shoot one, I just hear change fall to the ground. Cause I probably just broke or lost another arrow, you know, but, uh, it's, uh, it's just a totally different, totally different scenario. And, um, you, you know, it's just who, who are you doing it for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it, it's, uh, it's one of the reasons I love podcasts, right? People, you can explain your mistakes in a way that people can relate to. And it, and it clearly resonates. Like when you, when you see the listener correspondence, people go like, it's it's more relatable to go totally flame out on the biggest buck you've ever shot at in Iowa versus just to smoke him and be done. Like it's you know obviously personally you want the one outcome and not the other, but this this medium lends itself to that. Like it's 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 okay to just talk about your mistakes and your failures. This is this is actually the best place for it and a lot of the other hunting media, the parts of the media out there, they don't lend themselves very well to that. And so, but you you see that change a little bit, you know, like obviously social media doesn't, everybody wants to put on their best face always. The magazine articles, they've gotten smaller and that's gotten harder to explain your mistakes. Digital pieces the same way, but actually TV in its current form now where it's going to streaming and not necessarily bound to networks is actually coming around on that. And you see the success coming out of that for certain people. So you see kind of the old guard that was used to the one kill one show type of thing. And they're, they're even switching over because of the Newbergs and the Renellas of the world showed you like, you don't need to, there doesn't need to be a corpse at the end of every show. And so you see just this constant transition. And I just, I like, I like that we have all of these options now to talk about this stuff and, and give people a chance. Like if you only want to flip through Instagram, like you're going to see just a certain style of hunting represented in a, in a very, very narrow lane kind of. Mm-hmm. And then if you listen to a podcast, you're going to get a different approach and it, you know, varies obviously by who's producing it. But I, I love that we have all those options now and it actually has me like personally, you know, like when you bring up the, the pressure of being a writer, like back, you know, 10 years ago when it was like, the more stuff you kill, the more money you make and the more work you get, it's all tied together. The pressure was real. Like there was just like every deer that's coming in that you want to shoot, like, do not screw this up, dude. And you know, it's bow hunting. So you're going to screw up (laughs) and it sucks bad. And I feel myself in a sort of a transitionary spot right now where I'm, I'm questioning a lot. Like how many do you really need to kill at this point? Like how many public land bucks to support kind of feed the machine? And it feels like less because my reliance on some of that kind of work has, has gone way down. And so it feels like it's, 
you know, it's it's glacial, but it feels like it moves. It's moving in a in a direction, at least personally, where I'm like, okay, let's let's keep going that route. Yeah. Well, the, the podcast format also allows for like an amalgamation of subject matter experts, right? So you don't have to be the one that's out there writing all the time. Like in print, you you always had the opportunity to interview people, and that's that's always great. But they were, you know, oftentimes the arc of the story is okay, this is my personal experience. And I talk to these subject matter experts about these things or, you know, depend upon the type of the story. But now with this, you can go talk to people about all sorts of different things and bring together all these different opinions and points of view and have different levels of opinion leadership and what have you. So, you know, some people, they, they don't have, they're not like an opinion leader, if you will, in the, in the, from a global perspective of, having whatever size audience while others they do have you know a, a large following and you know can be considered a large opinion leader and that's you know the the social influencer thing i almost think is like a counterculture on that because there's some of them out there that have no they have no chops you know they don't have any experience or they have a very limited segment of experience and i always find that interesting how we buy into that stuff but you know that's that's a whole nother podcast but like yeah, I mean the podcast format's cool because it's just it's just consistently producing new information from from different people who have different experiences and different walks in, of life and know different things, and it just gives people an opportunity to to think about uh, things from a larger level, which I think is great. I mean, that's, a, that's in my opinion, that's one of the reasons why they've become just so successful you know and so widely utilized downloaded well yeah and it's it's a i i think like what you talk about with like different guests and what they bring to the table it's sort of like on the workout side of things i was thinking about this we you know cameron haynes comes up in in our kind of conversations all the time and i i was thinking like you know he he's probably not the best guy to listen to for somebody who's like struggling through their first 5k you know what I mean? Like he's, he's forgotten that part of his life. That was a long time ago where if, if he ever even had a challenge like that, he might've been so natural at it that that wasn't really a phase he went through, but that doesn't diminish what he's bringing to the table. Like that dude yeah. has literally saved people's lives by encouraging them to get in shape. So I'm not taking anything away from him, but I'm like, now he's, his style and his experience is for a certain kind of audience. Right. Like there's there's like the gym rat ultra marathoner type of like get after it that can listen to him. And then there's like the newcomer who can take away like I should just do something. But there's there's a space in between where somebody who's like in it right now, who's like I've, I've signed up for my first 10K or my first half and I'm really getting my ass kicked and I don't like it and I'm not sleeping very well. My legs hurt. My ankles hurt. That person brings something really special, I think, to the table that we maybe wouldn't have heard from before because of how information came about. And I love that we have that in everything. So you see that in the whitetail world where it doesn't have to be somebody who has 25 booners on the wall like it used to be or it used to feel like it had to be. Now it can be somebody who maybe never leaves their home state of Missouri or wherever they're at and just hunts really hard on the family farm or hunts on the public land. And they're bringing like this level of experience that's relatable. And it's not necessarily a testament to like tons of success as far as, you know, a high taxidermy bill, but there's, there's still so much value there. Yeah. And everybody's, 
you know, again, everybody's got a different journey and everybody's at a different place within that journey. I mean, the running analogy in Cameron Haynes is perfect, but think about how many people he's motivated to just take the first step. You know, I mean, you and I have talked about that in the past as well. It's like, there was a point I couldn't run a quarter mile, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to admit that that guy was a huge motivator for me because he just was out there doing it, you know, every day, every day, every day. And that, that lifestyle and that level that he's at is not for any, everyone, right? It's not for the vast majority of the population, but it's still an inspiration. And there's, there's people out there, you know, and deer hunting in the same way, you know, the vast majority of people aren't going to be like the Lukoskis or like you or like me as far as what they're able to achieve, but they have their five to seven or three or whatever days a year that they can get out and go and do something. And as long as they're out, more power to them. I mean, I I have a 13 year old who's like right on the edge of being able to, you know, go and do stuff right now. And, you know, if she gets three days this year, I'll be over the moon because she at least, she at least finished her hunter safety and she got out, you know, and, and that's all that matters to me. And if that's her jumping off point and the beginnings of her journey, awesome. I, yeah. Is that like that old saying like, oh, I've forgotten more than, you know, it's really true, right? You know, we, there's so many people in so many different places and, and, you know, like different aspects of life or subject matter experts or whatever that they just know stuff that, you know, we just can't even fathom, you know, I know plenty of dumb shit, (laughs) (laughs) worthless information. I'll tell you one thing that's, that's a, a net benefit of being, of drinking really hard for 20 years is when you quit, you'll start remembering stuff you totally forgot happened to you. Yeah. I I don't know if that's I'm calling it a win. I talked, I was talking to my buddy Eric the other day about my strategy to kill one in Minnesota before the gun season came in. And we, we both hunt the same farm. And I was talking about, you know, there's this, there's, there's like two thick ridge bedding area type of things. And there's this ravine between them. And it's the way it sets up. It's, it's really only good probably for a South wind and I was looking at it when I was hunting or in early October, I could see it way across the field. And I was like, I never hunt there. I never go in there and I hang a stand. And I'm, I'm like looking at it, sort of this macro view. And I'm like, I know Doe's bed up there and I know Doe's bed up there. And that's the, the closest point to stay in the cover. Like, why don't I go in there? And I was talking to Eric about it. And then after we got off the phone, I was like, I've hunted there before. I shot a buck in there in like 2003 and like totally forgot that I had even done that. Like totally erased it from my memory, a whole deer kill that I can look at on the wall. And it was like, holy shit. Like sometimes, sometimes like you can get so into this and like think about this so hard and sort of get in these weird lanes that you forget like the big picture stuff to look at it and go, okay, well, this is, (laughs) I can do this or this means more or get my kid out means more like there, there's it's it's easy to like really kind of get laser focused on some of this stuff in life not just hunting but like your anger at some internet troll or something and it's it just like puts the blinders on and we all do it and i like having those moments where you're like oh dipshit like of course you you can go do this or do that or you you've seen this before like don't don't narrow down your worldview so much man well it's it, you know when it comes to the hunting side of things especially because we're 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 uh we're so dialed into the weather. You know, I feel like sometimes when we get a, a day or a couple of days, especially when it's like prime conditions, you're like, I don't want to waste this day. 
you, you know what I mean? So you don't want to, you're like, oh, I can't make this wrong decision because I'm going to waste this, this amazing day. Like it's the only one that you're ever going to have. Like it's just this one. Yeah. We, we really forget that, you know, if we're lucky, life is long and we're going to have plenty of opportunities to go out and find more days and the seasons are long. Yeah. And there's, you know, there are some days that are way more epic than others when it comes to opportunities or sightings or whatever. And the conditions just line up and all the stars align. But you know, I think we, we always feel like to this, this day is going to be that one, you know, and we all have the hope that, you know, today's the day that we're going to actually shoot that deer that we've been after or shoot a deer or whatever. But like, yeah, who cares? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, geez, this is my my friend. He always says like, we're not cutting into brains here, you know? So yeah, we're not neurosurgeons. The, The danger, not only with that is you, you know, like, like you said, like you don't want to get it wrong, right? If you're like, oh, it's this day and this temperature and this front's coming in, A, you don't want to screw it up, but B, you place a level of importance on it that it's just setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. And and very oftentimes, at least for me, it's an unrealistic, you know, expectation of certain things. And you're just, like you said, setting yourself up for disappointment. And going back to what I said earlier, I just got tired of that. You know, it's just like, I already suck at enough things at life. I don't need to try and the one thing that I really kind of put at the top of my activity list, I'm not going to make myself feel crummy about this too. You know, so, ah, whatever. Do you, do know, you so. think that your experience elk hunting has helped you realize that like that you have to temper expectations for the experience? My experiences elk hunting have proven to me how much I suck at everything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Elk hunting is so humbling, man. I, I just, because, I mean, for me personally, I put a lot of emphasis on my fitness and my shooting when I want to get there. Cause I need, you know, before I get there rather, cause I want to be able to get to the places that I want to go. And then if I do have an opportunity, I want to be able to execute that shot with just, you know, just the highest level of confidence. But you know, doing, especially doing the public land elk hunting thing and everything else, the the thing that I just experience all the time is how many variables are outside of our control. You, there's been so many times where I've e-scouted a spot, and this has happened whitetail hunting too. E-scouted a spot, I think it's going to look one way, and then I get in there. My hunting partner and I will get in there, and I'm like, oh, this this is either way too steep, and there's not going to be any elk in here, or um, you know, or this, this burn is completely different than what I thought it was going to be. It's like a literally like a scorched earth burn and there's, there's no cover. There's nothing on the ground or just going deep into these spots. And just, it's just hell literally to get there because it's so thick and there's so much deadfall. I mean, there's just so many. And then you think to yourself, well, if I shoot an elk in here, I mean, we're talking a three day pack out miserable the whole time is it is it worth it you know do you kind of hit the point of diminishing return so i mean that's the difficulty of doing things from afar but above and beyond whitetails like that is one animal that i just every time i think like oh yeah i i think i'm starting to get this going back to what we talked about earlier forgetting things or you know, or they just don't do what you think they're going to do or whatever. I mean, it's just, they're just the most humbling species I've ever hunted. And like to the point of humiliating sometimes, I mean, there were, there were 
days on this year's hunt were I, I just I was like just emotionally drained. I'm like, God, I, I'm so terrible at this. And like my hunting partner would say the same thing. He's like, I just don't understand why I suck at this. We've been doing this for so long. What, why, you know, but, but the other thing is, again, when you're doing the public land thing and there's pressure, those animals are adjusting to that pressure and there's no way to know what they're, what they're going to do out there. It, you know, I mean, you can get a good idea to a certain extent, but I, or guys getting in between you. I mean, this year we had we had two really good instances or opportunities where guys just got in between us and the elk. I mean, I, I feel pretty confidently that we may have had an opportunity to kill on both those during both those situations, but somebody beat us to it. You know, they either came in from a different angle, they started a little earlier, they, you know, whatever. And it's just it's frustrating, you know, especially when a dude's like blowing on a hoochie mama like 200 yards away from an elk literally and you're just like you are not going to call that bull in you are saying the wrong things to him you know what i mean like or you know or you get into another spot and just just hunters came in from a different direction but that's that's part of what i, I love about it but it's also part of what makes me come home sometimes and go yeah you know what next year might not be a diy year <laughs> you know just <laughs> We just need some meat for the freezer at this point. You know, it's just be, I, I, yeah, but it's totally taught me how to temper my expectations. Totally. I, I mean, there's just, there's no question about it. Um, there's not, in, in my opinion, I mean, I've never done a high country mule deer hunt, so I can't, I don't have that comparable. I, I from everything I've read and talked to guys about, that's, that's a whole nother level of challenge. At least a lot of times when you're doing that, you're behind glass and it's not that full-blown physical barrage that you're going through with with elk hunting too where you're just covering tons and tons of miles day in and day out and day in and day out for however many days you're fortunate enough to be in the field and for us being from the east we are really guilty of the whole well today could be the day i can't take a break you know, I can't take a morning off or I can't take an afternoon off or a day off or whatever. You know, we, we need to do a better job of building, building that in. Um, so that way we're again, a little bit more tempered in our expectations, but going back to it, when you put in all that prep work, you're like, I did all this work. It should happen. Right. But to the running situation, it's just, just because you go and you do all the work to run your first 5k doesn't mean that you're going to run sub 20 minutes sub 18 minutes sub 17 minutes i mean that that all takes special circumstances or you know certain certain things and it's it's that same thing with elk hunting like you just just because you shot your bow and got fit and e-scout it doesn't mean that it's going to happen white tails too you know nothing nothing is guaranteed with all this uh, yeah i think the the difference i've only high country mule deer hunted once and the difference between that and elk hunting is you can see them like yep. they're not that hard to find you know that's usually an early season type of thing and you can pick them up right. elk when they're not there or you know even elk when they are there but they're in the big timber that's or you know the dark timber if they're not making noise you're like well i don't have any elk anywhere near me and this sucks so bad at least with mule deer if you can hike up to a hog's back or a saddle or something you can look at a basin probably find some deer and at least go okay i can see the thing i'm hunting when you go elk hunting and 
it's been four days and you haven't heard a bugle or seen one or bumped one or anything, it is real tough. And it's the worst. It's horrible. And it it is, it's very, it's difficult to go into that with as much as you feel you have at stake for the hunt and take a morning off or not get after it. And it doesn't, there's just times where, you know, powering through and trying to be a badass doesn't work. Like sometimes you just need that reset moment or that sleep in morning. And that's a hard thing to do. Cause you think like we, we've been told we can just go to the mountains and if we're in good enough shape, we'll get on them. And that's just like, doesn't take into account the million wildcard variables out there. Like you said, with, uh, with guys getting in between you, you know, you finally get a bull worked up. And then somebody slips in there between you and them and shoots them or, or busts them, then yep. you might not, that might not happen again on a 10 day trip. That might've been exa- your yeah, chance. Exactly. I, like I remember this is going to sound stupid, but my first out of state hunting trips were either Iowa for pheasants when I was growing up, or we started going down to Missouri, Northern Missouri to hunt turkeys. And when I was in high school, and I remember my buddy and I drove down there. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. You know, we'd killed a few turkeys at home. And, you know, Missouri, you can only hunt till one o'clock. And I remember one day we couldn't, we're on public land. You know, this is pre, you know, satellite imagery, everything. And it was like noon. And you're like, well, we got to hunt till one because we got the rest of the day to dick around, like nothing to do. And I remember just going like, let's just call back and f- set up on this ridge, call back and forth and just see if we can get something fired up. And we started doing that, yelping back and forth and got this bird just randomly going on the same ridge with us. And you could hear him getting closer. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to kill a tom out of state on public land. And then boom. <laughs> and <laughs> like, and it was just so deflating. Yeah. Like, holy shit, somebody just got right in between us and killed that tom as he was running down the ridge toward us. And then you think like... Now let that happen with an elk three times in one trip or two times. It's like, can you keep your head up or are you going to be like in the fetal position bawling on the side of the mountain? Because that stuff sucks. Yeah. Yeah. For me personally, you know, because like, especially anymore, like my family is so much at the center of my life. The the other thing is like, I don't want to disappoint them because of the time that I spent away. And, or my, or, you know, the time I've been away from my businesses and whatever else, like, I just look at all that and I'm like, if this doesn't come together, like this, not that it was a waste of time. I never really feel that way. Cause I'm always learning, but like, I'm, I'm more disappointed from that aspect because of, because of the time out of pocket, you know, away from, away from work or away from family or, or, you know, or whatever. And like, I think it becomes, my wife is never like, bothered by it she's you know she's great about being supportive and whatever else but it just just sucks you know it could have gone salmon fishing at home or you know what i mean during that same time or we there's there's other things that we could have done or you know got it done a quicker deer hunt and whatever else and i think the one thing that i learned this year was we've been doing these these pretty long trips you know 14 15 16 days and uh this year i mean we cut it short by like two days because i just got to the point where I was so focused on what was not happening with my work that I just, I couldn't stay mentally there, you know? So I I just, I realize now like I have to retool how I even view that, right? I can't go for that long. I have to, 
you know, do a better job of figuring out, okay, well, what are my contingency plans if I have something that I need to address when I'm away other than like scrambling and be like, okay, uh, I think I have a personal hotspot here and I can jump online or whatever, you know, and that, that makes it a higher level of difficulty or my, you know, for me, it might be, it might make sense to wait another year to draw a tag in a certain state or change up my rotation on what states I'm trying to draw and when, or, you know, toss in a different hunt somewhere else. That's not an elk hunt, do a high country mule deer hunt. You know, amassed all these points and all these places. And every year I just look at them like, I'm going elk hunting. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, I got a couple of states where I'm close to max points on what makes sense. It's like, what am I doing? You know, I'm just, I'm just squandering things, but there's just something about that, that animal or just, they get under my skin. There's like a, there was an ego element to it too. I, I, that I hate, you know, but I, I don't, I don't. It's undeniable. They're jerks. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, there is just something, something really, really special about it. And it's, you know, you brought up a point there <clears throat> that we don't, discussed very often, which is a huge, huge factor in our enjoyment and our success. And it's what's going on at home, what's going on with your job. Because again, if you're going out, you're not enjoying your hunting time because, you know, your spouse is mad at you or you should be at the kids soccer game or work sucks and things are blowing up is very hard to go out and have a successful hunt. And it, you know, from a three-hour sit after work to that 10-day trip, it's the same thing. If there's some real big mental anchors keeping you at home or keeping you out of the woods somehow, this it's hard to, to get into the space you need to be. And this probably, if you've never traveled to hunt or never drew a tag or bought an over-the-counter elk tag, it's probably a hard thing to understand but I have seen this so consistently with people that I travel with to hunt that it blows my mind. And I'll never like that, like that uh, high country mule deer hunt I referenced. That was a long time ago. That was like 2007 or something. And one of the guys we went with, this was back like the Blackberry days, you know, like the, the businessmen had Blackberries and he had one and he was on that thing nonstop. And by the time we had horsebacked up into this this spike camp, or the, you know where the wall tent was, he was like, "I got to go. I got to get back down." And he never hunted, and he went and worked. And I was like, "Holy shit! What was that? Like, this is a I couldn't I couldn't believe it." And then I started going, you know, a lot of hunts on my own, and taking buddies and seeing like, "Oh, I got to stop here and call my wife," or they get one phone call from their wife on the way out. And their whole demeanor would change. And it was just, they couldn't get, couldn't leave that stuff behind or didn't have the right support to to get into the place to enjoy it and, and, and make the most of your hunt. And that's a big thing that plays into this that we don't talk about very much. And then we, this year we have the whole, the whole pandemic on top of that, right? You know, in September we had kids going, at least I did, I had kids going back to school. We didn't know what was going to happen with that you know what I mean? There's, there's a bunch of cultural unrest happening. And I mean, just that was a whole nother element that added on top of everything. And, you know, it's just, it's just tough. It's just tough to contend with all that. And, you know, I do my best to just wash it out of my mind and get focused, but I think you can only maintain your focus for a certain amount of time. And again, when you're doing these sort of marathon type elk hunts, 
or, or if you're doing a mule, long mule deer hunt or whatever, things where you're off the grid for a long amount of time, you can only sustain that for, or at least I can only sustain it for a certain amount of time. Whitetail stuff travel wise is generally pretty easy. You know, just i most of the time I have Wi Fi or I can jump on a hotspot and make things work, but elk takes on a totally different totally different face and i mean i've done an elk hunt almost every year since 2008 and this year i'm looking at it I'm like all right am i am i gonna be able to pull this off next year it's kind of gonna be i'll put in for some tags and if some things come kind of come together I'll, I'll i'll adjust to it but i'm i'm also not like i don't know it just something happened this year that just changed my my mental state for it maybe it was those guys getting in between us i don't know but uh well i'll be curious because if you don't go I'll be curious how that treats you because I didn't go elk hunting this year and it made me realize that I'm an idiot and I need to go elk hunting. Oh, I'll probably be ferocious the next year. I'll be yeah. like, oh, I'm going to do five elk hunts that year. Every, I'll be, <laughs> you know, I'll be divorce court and whatever else. Oh, my wife will be like, no, 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 this doesn't work. You know, I've been supportive. Yeah. So it, I, I, yeah, that, that's the one thing. It's, it is just a super, there's nothing like hearing those animals or seeing them in, in their natural state when they're not uh, under a lot of pressure and whatever else, just watching them out doing their thing, you know, in a, on a hillside and they're just, they're just super cool. I mean, I love all these animals, but for some reason, just elk just really geek me out and they're, they're just, their, their overall size is just incredible. And yeah. just when you, you know, the first time you shoot one, when you walk up to them, you're like, whoa <laughs> now we got to get this thing out of here you know and that's uh yeah i remember like when i shot my first one I, I just remember texting my wife and just saying like packing an elk out is the worst thing ever she's like worse than doing this i'm like yes you know all running or workout related stuff worse than doing this i'm like yes you know just just hard you know and so i mean yeah there are guys, I mean, when I see guys that are like, oh, yeah, I had to pack out six or eight miles or whatever, I'm just like, oh my goodness. You know, they're just beasts, you know, just beasts. It's, uh, that's, that's wild. But it is one of those things like you just, you, you have to, like if you get into that situation, you just have to do it, you know? And so a lot of people won't put themselves in that situation. I mean, you know, you think about, how much of a pain in the ass it is to get a whitetail out of certain spots. If you, you know, especially if you got to pack them out or drag them out for whatever reason, and then you, you tack on, you know, like imagine doing four, four big bucks at one shot, like in the mountains, you know, I mean, it's, it's a different world, but it's, it's, uh, it's still, it's super worth it. And I saw just it, randomly as a side note, I saw Idaho just raised their non-resident prices. Did you see that? Yeah, so I think it's eight hundred and fifty bucks for a tag there now or something. Um one thing one thing that I want to touch on is the the aspect of like having having a good home life to leave or having a good home life waiting for you. There's a there's like a fine line there, right? Because a lot of people have gotten not a lot, but guys have gotten divorced over hunting. Like the, oh, yeah. the obsession over it. And so it's, there's like a, there's a, there's a line to toe, right? Where it's like not pushing it so much that it's really, really affecting family life. But at the same time, not getting into a position where you're made to feel guilty for doing something for yourself. You know, I always look at it like, I talk about this all the time, but one of the reasons that I fell in love with working out and running is because once a day, I feel like I'm really just taking 
45 minutes or an hour or whatever, however amount of time for myself. And that's just for me. It's just nobody else doesn't matter. And my wife can't look at that and be like, that's a bad thing. She looks at it and goes, I want him doing that. Like that's, that's a good thing. It's harder to get that with hunting. Like it's a, it's a bigger commitment and not yearly, but like seasonally, but to get into a space where you go, you know, like I work hard, I take care of a family. I should be able to hunt three weekends or five weekends, or I should be able to take a five day stretch and not feel guilty about it. That's like a very real thing. Like you shouldn't, you know, like you got to be careful about it. you like, you got to put in your time at home. You got to put in your time doing whatever, but you also should be working really hard to get into a place where that's like totally okay for you to do that for yourself. Because, you know, there's only X amount of deer seasons in your life. There's only X amount of elk hunts you're going to go on. And that shit matters. Like you're not going to go... In 40 years from now, you're not going to think back and like, oh, remember that time we binge watched that series on Netflix? Man, that was a great memory. Like that shit's going to be gone. But those elk hunts and, you know, that perfect Halloween night in your favorite deer stand when he came in, like that shit's going to stick. That that stuff matters. And so there's there's like a weird balance to find there. But like I can tell you found it. I know you have. And I feel like I'm... I've, I've gotten there too. And I think it just takes a certain amount of figuring out like, what do you like? What do you not like? How, you know, like what kind of precedent have I set for my family is how committed I am to this. There, there's a lot to it, but when you find that piece, it's really nice. Well, I mean, I just want to touch on one thing that I think is really important. You know, Joe Exotic and the Tiger King are everlasting. <laughs> so, I mean. That's true. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but no, I mean, it, I think it really starts with, you know, this is going to sound terrible, but it starts with the selection process, right, of who you choose to have as your spouse or your partner or whatever, you know. And and so for, for me, I just – I remember very early on having conversations with my, my wife, at, you know, well before, you know, we got married, of course, just saying like, hey, this is really important to me. This is like a really big deal and just laying laying the foundation of that. And then, you know, as things have evolved over time and we've been together for 20 years, we've been married for, you know, whatever, 15, I think this year. And, uh, I should probably know that. And, um, <laughs> she's not going to listen to this anyway. Yeah, that's all right. So, but the thing is like, I, I at this point in our relationship, I, I invest a lot of time throughout the rest of the year to make sure that their cup is, is completely full by the time that we hit, September, October. Um, you know, it's just, we do, we do a ton of family stuff. I mean, we spend our winters, we're skiing and snowboarding and doing a ton of activity together. We're doing, you know, winter hikes and, you know, as a family, we're just really boning up on time. And then we transition into spring and we do a lot of camping, you know, my whole family sort of fishes, not that they're all good at it, including me, but we all fish together. We do a bunch of stuff, more camping through the summer. And, uh, you know, we go to the beach, we do all these things. Like when it comes time to do vacations, you know, we kind of just get together and Heather and I'll wait, wait, excuse me, lay out options to the kids. Like, Hey, do you want to go to, you know, this place and go do a spring skiing trip? Or do you want to go to this place and do a beach trip? Or do you want to go to this place and do a mountain trip? Or do you want to go, you know, you want to go somewhere warm You want to go to the desert, you know, and we'll just kind of make a decision as a, as a family and like, you know, building all that kind of, uh, emotional equity within your, within your household, I think is really critical when you get to the times where it can be really trying when you're on a heavy schedule for, for whatever you do, if you're into hunting or fishing or mountain biking or skiing or snowboarding or snowmobiling, I don't, I don't care. I mean, it's just, you know, all of that stuff is, 
it just it all adds up and you want to make sure that the person that you're with knows that number one you appreciate them and but like number two like you want to know that you've done all of those things to make sure that they're that they're feeling fulfilled and they know that you you cared about them. you're not acting selfishly all the time because it's really easy to do that you know i mean I, I catch myself all the time whether it's because of work or or play like up oh, I got to stop right now. And sometimes it's like an acute moment. Like, no, I have to stop right now. I I had one of those yesterday. Like everybody was sitting at the dinner table. I was still sitting at my desk in my home office pounding keys and I could hear them in there talking as a family. And I just finished a sentence I was writing. I stopped, got up, walked in and I said, what are we talking about? And I sat down at the table and just, you know, kind of took a break. Yeah, I probably added another 45 minutes to my day you know, pretty late into the evening, but it's just, it's just important. And that little bit of time will make it so this weekend, you know, I might have a little bit more time because my kids will know that we talked about how school went yesterday or what's new or some Xbox game that they're playing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for me, that all provides value and it's not selfish motivation. I'm, you know, it's just done with intent because it does matter to me. And, you know, 15 years down the road, I don't want to have my kid in therapy and be like, my dad never paid attention to me. He was always working. You know, it's just, but I, I don't want to go through that, you know, and I want them to go through that. And the same thing with my wife. I mean, I, like you talked about, there's, there's, I know so many people that are all of a sudden out of the blue. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost sad. It is really sad that just all of a sudden they're like, yeah, my spouse just up and split. Well, how come? Oh, uh, I don't know. Did you ask? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then they, you know, they find out they're like, you know, whatever with, with, you know, whoever, because they would listen to them and it's, you know, or, or they would spend more time with them. It's like, it's totally avoidable. Just make, you know, you have to make investments in everything that we do. And, uh, you know, for, for me personally, it, my biggest investment is into my, into my family. And I would, I would push everything else to the side, uh, you know, in order to do that. And that's, I can't say that that's been the case my entire life, you know, I, you know, and I've had my wake up calls because of it, but, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, there were times where I definitely put activities or myself ahead of all else. And then, but I, but I had myself convinced of otherwise, and that was the scariest part. And then, and then so now like, I'm very, very cognizant of that, or at least I try and be. And I'll even ask my wife, like, hey, am I kind of like treading the line here? And she, you know, she'll usually, she'll usually be like, well, you know, maybe we should do this or whatever, you know. But like last weekend is another example. Um, my wife booked a, um, a camping trip. You know, we, we have a camper and it's just easy to get everybody because they're comfortable. And like, like, ah, oh, man, like, third weekend in October, like hunting is going to be pretty good. Like and waterfowl season's open. So even if I've shot a deer, like I could be waterfowling. And honestly, like I, I didn't even care after like the initial moment. I was just like, okay, yeah, I got to invest like a couple of days into going and doing something. And we had a blast, man. We had a blast. And I came home. I didn't even hunt the next day. Yesterday, I'm not going to hunt tonight. Like it's just it's not because I'm not motivated or whatever. Just you know, I had we had so much fun, and the conditions were terrible. I mean, it was 
cold and raining and miserable, and we still had a, a ton of fun and talked about going and doing it again next year. And I would never five years ago have signed up for that. I would have been like, you are crazy. You think you're going to uh, keep keep me out of a tree stand third week in October? And things are just starting to get revved up. No way. No way. But it's way more important. You know, I, yep. there's plenty of time. There's There's plenty of time. I didn't realize we were going to get on such a philosophical topic. <laughs> well, we uh, usually start off on deer and end, uh, end up on something else. Um, yeah. You definitely got to put in your time. You got to earn, you know, anything worthwhile. You you got to earn it. Um, and and just just to wrap, just just to tie a little bow around that. Uh, do you know who did not choose a good spouse? Oh my gosh, no. Who? Uh, Carol Baskin's old husband. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to bring the, the Tiger King thing right around. Yeah. All right, buddy. Let's wrap this up. Uh, good luck on your Iowa tag. Uh, good luck with w- whatever you got left out there in New York. I know you're going to get after it with a bow. You're going to get after it with a gun. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I know you're doing some some writing out there. Uh, where, where's your work ending up at right now? Uh, you know, Bow Hunter picks up most of the stuff. Every once in a while, there'll be something somewhere else. But they, 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 send, they tend to pick up you know, the more majority of things, uh, silly guys, but, uh, you know, um, yeah, that's really it. And I'm, you know, I'm on social, um, Timothy G Kent on Instagram and Facebook and, uh, yeah, that's about it. So, what, if, what if somebody wants to buy a deer hunting property out there in New York? Oh yeah. Yep. They can do that. Whitetail properties. Uh, I work for whitetail properties and they can find, my listings on there. I work in the Finger Lakes region of New York, and my Whitetail Properties Instagram is, I think it's Tim Kent WP. I have to even look. That's terrible, right? <laughs> That's. I think it's. Uh, I think you have too many jobs when the host of a podcast has to remind you of the other jobs you forgot to talk about while you were. Yeah, Tim Kent WP. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It's all good, buddy. Um, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on, man. Always fun. Thank you so much for listening. I can't honestly put into words how much I appreciate anyone taking the time to check into the Hunt for Real podcast. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe so you can get the latest episodes each week as we drop them. You can also find us at huntforreal.com, our YouTube channel where we'll be putting up tips and films throughout the year, as well as through all the usual suspects when it comes to social media. Again, thank you so much for listening.